0: The day of the overseas missionary is over. We need to rely more on the locals to reach themselves as they're more effective than we are anyways. These days we have TV, internet, and radio to reach the difficult to reach places. I've heard that God is working best through dreams these days in the Muslim population. Really, anywhere you serve is the mission field, and the U.S. needs our help the most right now. These were all statements spoken to me along my journey to becoming an overseas medical missionary. When I would share this dream that I wanted to get to those difficult to reach places with the gospel and with medical work, I would have these statements rehearsed back to me. But I knew in my heart that the words of Matthew 28, 19 were written for me. In fact, they were written for them as well. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost About 2 years ago I was working in the surgery ward I'm a family practitioner by trade but of course when we're in the mission field we have to do a little bit about every a little bit of everything So that particular summer um, our general surgeon had gone on vacation Go ahead Oh great had gone on vacation and so we had a local nurse who was doing our surgeries The nurse was adept at the operations but had little interest in post-operative care. So I was stopping by each day to visit some of the patients who were hospitalized long-term as we were seeing a higher number of post-operative complications like wound infections and such after the surgeries. This particular gentleman had presented originally with an acute abdomen. He was found to have a perforated small intestine and had an open laparotomy to be able to repair his intestine. Unfortunately, the reanastomosis didn't hold. He had had to have a number of other surgeries and was hospitalized with us for quite a long time. One day as I was doing rounds, he stopped me and asked a question. Now all of this was done through a translator because as you can see the gentleman looks like a Muslim. He speaks Arabic. His family prays. He's a Muslim. But that particular day when I was changing his wound dressing, he said, I want the word of God. I was shocked. How, how did he know <laughs> that I had the word of God? And, and how is this Muslim asking me for the word of God? So with much excitement in my heart, I asked the nurse what exactly he was meaning. And the nurse explained to me that he wanted one of our god pods, a little solar-powered iPod that has the Bible um, spoken in multiple different languages. We're able to have it in Arabic, as well as a few other local languages. So after rounds that day, I excitedly went back to our house, picked up one, and brought it to him. I turned to the channel of Arabic and played the New Testament. And suddenly, a grin lit up his face, and I saw him previous Subsequent days, also listening to the God Pot and the Word of the Lord. This is my family, my husband, and our two children. We've had the privilege of serving at Bede Avenes Hospital, which is located in Chad. Chad is in the dead heart of Africa, affectionately known. Um, Chad has a number of exciting neighbors. Sudan, Libya, Central African Republic, areas of the world that are extremely difficult to get into. So we feel very privileged that we are on the frontier of um, really the unreached world. This is a picture of what used to be like Chad, which is now just a few little puddles, sometimes present in rainy season, absent in the dry season. Our objectives today are to uncover biblical examples and perspectives for medical missionary work to the unreached to identify who the unreached people groups are in 2021, and to discuss the unique health challenges of the unreached, and discover practical ways for medically ministering to the unreached. So I'm sure you can all guess, what is the Bible story connected with this picture? Who can tell me? Daniel, Daniel and his three friends. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Now God brought Daniel into favor with Prince Melzar, Daniel asked to prove thy servants with a plant-based diet, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding, Daniel and his friends were superior. So perhaps Daniel didn't originally go to Babylon with the objective to be a medical missionary overseas to the unreached, but that ended up being his lot in life. Who can tell me what this biblical story would be? Paul in Malta. So Paul was headed to Rome. He was shipwrecked. He met Publius, who was a leading citizen at the time, whose father became sick with dysentery and fever. Paul prayed, laid hands on him, and the man was healed. Acts 28.9 tells us, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Paul, perhaps like Daniel, did not have the original intention to be a missionary to the overseas, however, that's what God had in store for him. Acts 1, verse 8 tells us, But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and, not or, but and, to the end of the earth. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. When will the end come? When it's to all the nations. Spirit of prophecy is also in support of missionary work to the unreached. When the apostles of Christ were to bear his gospel to the world and to record it for future ages, they were especially endowed with the enlightenment of the Spirit. So God has a special blessing for those who are willing to go. Who can guess this biblical story? It's the Ethiopian, exactly. Ellen White tells us that the Ethiopian represented a large class who needed to be taught by such missionaries as Philip, men who will hear the voice of God and go where he sends them. There are many, she says, who are reading the scriptures who cannot understand their true import. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully up to heaven, Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. Ellen White herself was an overseas missionary, first to Europe, then to Australia. In her 60s, nonetheless, she was not afraid to go. She says that when the call came to go to Europe, I responded. Afterward, when asked to go to Australia, I went, notwithstanding, I was over 60 years of age. Nine years I worked in that field, and my heart is filled with the missionary spirit. Although nearly 75 years old, I see such a desire to save souls that if the Lord should call me to this work, I would still go. So who are the unreached people groups in 2021? Unreached people groups, as defined by the Joshua Project, were populations where less than 2% of the population is Christian. Joshua Project is an amazing online database of information about the unreached people groups um, and Christianity's presence throughout the world. So that translates to 3.23 billion people currently who are unreached. That will help us understand a little bit more.
1: Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population, World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus, or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel, but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the Gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right! The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. Twenty-nine percent of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion, and, together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything—Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work, but how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, Annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. Two billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that?
0: So this video was done by Global Missions, um, initial, global, Frontier Global Missions, which is the um, non-denominational analog like to Adventist Frontier Missions. So let's just look at this a little bit more in depth. The people groups of the world, so there's 17, over 17,000 people groups. And um, there's a total of 7,400 that are still unreached. And as we can all guess, the region of the world where the majority of these people groups are is in the 1040 window, which we know as between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north on the Asian and Euro-African continents. The dominant religions are Islam um, in Africa and the Middle East, um, on the Asian subcontinent Hindu, Southeast Asia and Mongolia Buddhism and then China. There are some unreached people groups in the United States and some of them come from refugees. So last year in 2020, the US accepted 12,000 refugees. Refugees are defined as people who are forcibly displaced from their country because of persecution, war, violence, difference of political opinion, religion, nationality, And these are coming from five major countries, Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Myanmar. There are unique health challenges to those who are in the 1040 window. Lots of those 1040 window countries are low income countries. So according to the World Bank, those would be countries where the per capita gross national income is less than $1,000. And then the lower middle class countries Earn between one and four thousand per year. Low income countries are synonymous with underdeveloped countries, developing countries, newly industrialized countries, and all of those low income countries are located on the continent of Africa, except for the countries of Afghanistan and Yemen. The life expectancy of low and low middle income countries is in the 50s. For example, for Chad, where we've been serving for the past three years, the life expectancy is 54.5 years, the second lowest in the world. The infant mortality rate is greater than four in 100, and in Chad, it's 8.5 babies that are born out of 100 who will die. The doctor to patient ratio, for instance in Chad, is 3.7 doctors per 100,000 people. Just to put that into perspective, in the United States there are 260 doctors for every 100,000 people. So now let's have a little quiz to see how much you all know about health challenges in these low and middle income countries. So what percentage of women and children are anemic in the developing world? And you can just think of the answer in your head. 40, the WHO says that um, anemia can be um, mainly attributed to nutritional deficiencies, hemoglobinopathies, and infectious diseases such as tuberculosis, malaria, HIV, and parasites. So, we see this all the time in Chad um, on our maternity ward and pediatrics unit. There's, for the nutritional deficiencies, there's a lack of irrigation, lack of wells, lack of seeds, lack of produce. Um, So, that contributes to our nutritional deficiencies. And we really don't have testing for the hemoglobinopathies to know if those are present in our population. What is the most common gynecological cancer in the developing world? Cervical, so according to the WHO, nearly 90% of the deaths from cervical cancer in 2018 were in the low and lower middle income countries. American Cancer Society risk factors for cervical cancer include the human papillomavirus, high risk sexual behavior, so that means starting in a course under age 18, having multiple partners, having high-risk partners, HIV, uh, chlamydia co-infection as well, having had greater than three pregnancies, the first pregnancy being less than 20 years of age, and a decreased intake of fruits and vegetables. For us in Chad, we don't have a preventative program, and that's largely because there's no pathologist in the country. Um, It's difficult to get samples to the capital, Lack of awareness of preventative health in a lot of the developing world, um, and a lack of female providers, as many of our patients are Muslim. By what method is hepatitis B most commonly transmitted worldwide? IV drug use, sexual contact, blood transfusions, or mother to infant? Mother to infant. So according to the WHO, only 5% of hepatitis B cases worldwide are actually obtained in adulthood. So for us in Chad, there's a lack of screening for hepatitis B. Um, We do screen all of our blood donors, so that will pick up a lot of cases. Um, We screen them for hepatitis B, A, and HIV. Also, there's a high incidence of promiscuity um, where we're serving. Then the um, data is saying that there's around 25% of the infected who will have viral loads high enough to require treatment. The WHO says that there are nearly 300 million people living worldwide with chronic hepatitis B, and it was the cause of uh, 820,000 deaths in 2019. Those were largely due to complications of Hep B, including cirrhosis and hepatocellular carcinoma. What is the most common worldwide cause of death in children less than five years old? Complications of preterm birth. According to a Lancet study in 2014, there were nearly 15 million preterm births worldwide in 2014. That amounted to over 10% of all live births that were um, occurred at less than 37 weeks gestation. There's a whole host of complications that we know that result from preterm births, including respiratory distress syndrome, sepsis, cerebral palsy, feeding difficulties, seizures, infections, and intraventricular hemorrhage. What is the typical delay of symptom onset after time of exposure to measles? Three to five days, seven to 14, 14 to 21, we 21 to 28, seven to 14. We see a number of cases of measles in Chad. There's a CDC WHO study in 2019 that 200,000 lives were lost to measles. And that same year, 2019, 869,000 cases of measles were reported, which was the highest in 23 years. For us in Chad, there's a lack of vaccinations available um, as the vaccinations are usually going to the more developed areas and have difficulty getting to rural um, areas. We have a number of nomadic groups who are difficult to pin down, obviously, for their preventative health care. The complications that people die from, from measles, since we don't see too much here in the States, we can remind ourselves from medical school they are pneumonia, encephalitis, conjunctivitis, or keratitis. And for the CDC of the cases who contract measles, 1 in 1000 children will die. What treatment is recommended for severe malaria in children? Primaquine, chloroquine, artesanate, or artemether? Artesunate. The WHO World Malaria Report in 2020 reported that the previous year, there were 229 million new infections of malaria, which caused 409,000 deaths. And two thirds of that 409,000 deaths occurred in children under the age of five. Reasons why malaria is still rampant in Chad and many parts of the world is that there's a lack of nets. Um, Often nets are donated by Helping organizations, but those nets can be diverted and used as fishing nets. They can be sold to other countries. Political corruption results in uh, lack of nets being given to the actual um, people who need them. Standing water, which may be from the rice fields that um, nourish the people. It may be from the lack of having closures on their wells. Uncovered water pots. We often see delayed treatment, so children are not brought to the hospital, or the roads are impassable due to flooding or a lack of transportation. The family can't afford the um, bicycle taxi to take them in. We often see inadequate treatment of malaria. There are erroneous meds that patients obtain from the market. The treatment that they receive in various health clinics outside of our hospital may not be thorough, and often, parents take their children home before the completion of their course. Interestingly, I found a statistic by the National Crime Prevention Council that of the meds that are circulating worldwide, 10% are counterfeit. In some countries, up to 70% of the medications circulating are counterfeit. After tobacco smoke, what is the second worldwide leading cause of bladder cancer? Helminths, sexually transmitted diseases, alcohol, or aromatic amines. Helminths. Do you remember schistosomiasis from parasitology? So, I won't go into the life cycle as we're past that stage, but briefly, there are the eggs in this worm parasite that pass to snails, and the snails pass it to the water, and then humans who come in contact with the standing water contract schistosomiasis. Schistosomiasis affects over 200 million people worldwide. Why is this a problem? Well, there are chronic complications from schistosomiasis, such as abdominal pain, diarrhea, hematochesia. We see bladder cancer, bladder stones, cystitis, anemia, stunting, infertility, and the neurological complications like headaches, weakness, dizziness, and seizures. What percentage of the world's population has been infected with mycobacterium tuberculosis? Five, 10, 20, or 30? Around 20, 23%. So these are active and latent cases. So according to a 2019 Lancet study, tuberculosis was the leading cause of infectious disease um, death worldwide. There are 10 million new cases of tuberculosis annually, and every year, an average of 10% of latent cases convert to being active. 13% of total cases are extrapulmonary. So, often at our hospital in Chad, since we have few diagnostics, if there's some pathology that we do not know what it is, we think that it's cancer or tuberculosis. So, we'll just go ahead and treat them for tuberculosis since we can't treat the former. Tuberculosis is spread easily in these low and low middle income countries due to large families, close quarters, sporadic treatment, um, stops in the supply chain of their treatment as many governments provide these medications um, for free. However, they don't always actually give them. HIV co-infection is a large problem we see as well. What is the leading cause of maternal death worldwide? Abortion, sepsis, postpartum hemorrhage, or hypertensive disorders? Postpartum hemorrhage. So 27.1% of maternal deaths, according to WHO mortality data, had the complication of hemorrhage. Most of these cases were postpartum And reminding us again, uh, hemorrhage after delivery is considered greater than 500 milliliters if vaginal and greater than one liter if surgical, nearly 10% of all deliveries. And that was a uterine rupture. Ways that we can help to prevent postpartum hemorrhage are active management of the third stage of labor. And then we have the first line interventions, so our uterotonic medications, uterine massage. Actually, now the WHO is recommending tranexamic acid, which was a new one to me. And then second line interventions include tamponading, um, such as with balloons or surgical, with embolization, or with um, sutures around the uterus. What is the top cause of death worldwide? Diarrheal illnesses lower respiratory tract infections, ischemic heart disease, or cancer? Ischemic heart disease. So cardiovascular disease affects um, the developing world as well. The American Cancer Society said one third of all deaths in the whole world in 2019 were due to cardiovascular disease. Oh, there were over 500 million cases of cardiovascular disease in 2019. And over 80% of those cases were actually in low and middle income countries. So previously we had thought that it was mainly the developed world, um, the high income countries that were suffering from cardiovascular disease. However, more and more we're seeing these diseases occurring in the developing world as well. There's an increased access to packaged products increasing food supply worldwide, um, increased age population in Africa over the last 10 years. Treatment of HIV has increased the lifespan of Africans by 10 years. There's a lack of health education, non-compliance with medications that are prescribed for long-term management of these uh, lifestyle diseases, and just a poor understanding of chronic disease Um, given their previous mindset of a short-term, easily reversible infectious disease. Population growth, increasing number of older persons, obesity, um, unhealthy diets and urban living are all contributing. So now I'd like to share a few ways that we've discovered in Chad um, there specifically at our hospital, to be able to minister to the needs of our population. So this lady in the picture is a Muslim lady that I met through my husband, who, was, who is the chaplain of our hospital. And having a chaplain's office means that people can come and go, and so we're just able to develop relationships with patients when they come to visit. We try to minister to their basic needs, we have uh, occasionally given patients rides home from the hospital. As you can see, even with our Land Cruisers, we still get stuck. Um, we also have a rice program, which is there in the picture. And the rice we give to families whose patients are hospitalized long-term. We have a nutrition center, which does the obvious, giving highly nutritious um, substances to malnourished children that we track, but also we try to provide education to the family on how to help their children to have better health. We use prayer. Obviously, the best is for the missionary to learn the local language themselves. Um, However, at least at our hospital, there's at least 10 different languages that are spoken with all the tribes that are nearby, so we'll often get a translator, um, which will be one of our lab techs or a nurse. And we try to stay culturally sensitive um, with the patients and train the locals. Um, My husband as the chaplain, has gotten together a small team of uh, folks to be able to pray with patients. They have no medical training themselves, but they know how to pray and they know the Bible. So they will make their own rounds at our hospital to offer prayer for patients and their families. Um, There was one particular family that was pretty devastated with uh, the diagnosis of a stroke in their aged um, father and after a few days he ended up dying from the stroke and there was a nurse who was rounding with me that day and I trusted this nurse and I knew that she knew her Bible so I just had her pray for the patient in their own language and um, prayed that the Lord would speak through my fellow nurse. We also use discussions with patients. Um, For instance, I had a patient, the mother, um, who brought in her child uh, several days after birth who just hadn't been feeding well and she was very frustrated. So I asked her what she had done prior to coming to the hospital and she was honest with me that she had been to the traditional healer who had done incantations and some cutting and put on some, manure on uh, these specific cuts, and she had amulets and bracelets and all of the things that um, clued me into the fact that she had not asked for higher powers to heal her child. So I was... um, very prayerful about how to approach this, but the Lord impressed my heart to speak with boldness. And so I explained to her, since we're in Adventist Hospital, we have the freedom to say that it's God who heals at our hospital and that the amulets, that the um, bracelets that she was using had no place because it was only the Lord who was going to bring the healing to her child. We have a weekly Bible study or Spirit of Prophet study depending um, on the book that we're reading at the time. So this we do with our hospital employees. We have it uh, once a week in the morning and it's an optional thing for our hospital workers to be able to come to. It's a great way to be able to share some Adventist truths with our non-Aventist um, employees. So we've gone through ver- various books and then the prize at the end for coming to the uh, Bible studies is having one of the Spirit of Prophecy books as the gift at the end. We have daily worship at our hospital that's available for all patients, all of their family members, where right now we're going through Ministry of Healing, trying to aid especially our hospital employees with those practical, beautiful tools that we all know so well from the Ministry of Healing book. We use GlowTracks, which as you can see, are available in a multitude of languages, including Arabic. So we have the GlowTracks in an easy location, Since it's too hot to wear our white coats, we'll just have them on a shelf. And I'll often present it, especially to our Muslim patients, as a little gift that we provide to our patients and their families after their hospitalization or after their consultation. Um, We have health health tracks mainly in Arabic, but it provides a nice um, intro to the health message for our patients. We also use inspiring cards. For example, we have some of the Nathan Green postcards that we purchase. And we use these for patients that we've had a little bit more continuity with, our terminally ill patients, such as patients with cancer that's metastatic that we can do nothing for in Chad, um, mothers who've had stillbirths or who've lost an infant. And then on the other side of the card, we'll write a handwritten note, um, we'll include a Bible verse perhaps, and we find that as just a nice tool to have something visual that the patients can look at. We especially love the one of the second coming, which presents an angel giving back the baby to the mother who lost it while on earth. God pods are something that I mentioned earlier. Um, We have these where we can download a multitude of um, the indigenous languages on them and just seeing their smiles light up uh, on their faces when they hear the Bible in their own language is just an unparalleled experience. Oh yes, we have one right there, if anybody wants to take a look at one afterwards. We occasionally do home visits, so we collect the contact information of patients who might be interested in having us visit them, and then we distribute these contacts to the hospital workers to try to get nurses and lab techs and pharmacists in on the action. Um, We still do have several nomadic groups that we try to visit when they're in town we have a chaplain's office that as you can see is filled with a multitude of excellent material books and posters bibles we have a speaker where we're allowed to broadcast the bible and even arabic to our patients we have an apple tv where we have little videos that are recorded um, obtaining local content of Nurses, perhaps, or physicians talking about specific health challenges um, can be really effective. And we have these, uh, we have two TVs that are in two of our waiting areas. It's not necessarily a room since it's outside. So let's just talk briefly about what you can do in the next hours, days, weeks, months, years. So there's the obvious financial, which is the easiest. We have multiple great Adventist um, organizations like Adventist Health International, Adventist Frontier Missions, Global Missions. Then on the home front, as I mentioned before, there are some unreached people groups in the United States. So the International um, Rescue Committee has opportunities to volunteer with them. So it's not going to be anything medical but it would be an initial way to get in contact with refugees who are coming from countries that it's difficult for us to get inside. There are also English as a second language programs that we can be involved in. So that's another uh, local opportunity that you can have to be able to touch some of these unreached people groups that happen to be currently in the United States. You can go. For instance, missionaries, full-time missionaries like ourselves can't work 24-7, 365 days a year, so we need to have a vacation every now and then. So consider donating a couple weeks or a month or two of your time to relieve someone who's out in the field. Or plan a surgical or public health trip to come to one of the Adventist Health International or just Adventist hospitals located throughout the world. Or you can commit to a long-term position Don't let having a two-month-old stop you from going to a hard-to-reach place. The Lord will provide. So the GC office, um, the Deferred Mission Appointee office are great contacts for how to get connected with volunteer opportunities. I have my email address up there, and feel free to speak to me afterwards for more information on how to get connected um, to some of these people who can get you out they had never felt an air conditioner before. So in summary, we've seen that the Bible and spirit of prophecy are clear on our need to work for the unreached. We've seen a little bit of who they are and where they are. We've seen a small picture of their unique health challenges, and we've seen ways that we can minister to their spiritual needs. Now the only thing left is to see what you are going to do to be witnesses unto the uttermost part the Earth. Thank you. So I'm happy to take questions for the whole group at this point. We can dismiss. Um, Anyone can come up to me afterwards. Oh, sure. Okay, so our question was, we're working in an area where there's a lot of Muslims, and have we faced any persecution? What's the relationship of the Muslim population with our hospital? So Chad is a really unique country with a lot of opportunities in that half the population population is Muslim, but it's still okay to be openly Christian. So we're surrounded by countries where it's not okay to be openly Christian, so where we feel like we have a really unique um, niche there. But um, the story that I, I think exemplifies it is of a Muslim gentleman who had come to our hospital. So he worked in the local marketplace, and uh, my husband, Gabriel, and I would sometimes go to the marketplace, and he knew that my husband was a pastor. And so when we would pass by, he would spit on the ground after we had passed. And we knew that that was his way of just um, uh, disapproving of who we were and what we did. But you know, this same man became ill, and we're the only hospital in town, so where did he go but our hospital? So he was there for a couple of weeks while he was improving from the illness that he had. And afterwards, the next time we saw him in the marketplace, he did not spit on the ground after we left. In fact, he thanked us for the care that we had given him at the hospital. So certainly there are reservations from the Islamic population about us being overtly Christian. But when they see um, Christianity in action through medical providers, then they're able to to accept a little bit more what we're doing. So going back to those initial statements that I had had, uh, rehearsed to me throughout my medical training about internet. TV, just leave the locals to help themselves. The U.S. is the biggest mission field. You know, all those statements, um, they have a little bit of truth in them. But the problem is, after the dream, who's going to explain the dream to the person about the man in white being Jesus? And after they watch the 3ABN program on the TV, who's going to give them a Bible? Gabriel works in the chaplain's office, and one day, he had a man come in, again, very obviously Muslim, in dress and in speech, and he came up to Gabriel and he whispered in his ear, I want the word of God. And so Gabriel had an Arabic Bible in green with um, golden Arabic lettering. He gave it to the man who slipped it in his pocket, exited the door, and we've never seen him since. So. There is still a need for a physical presence in these areas, even though it's hard to get in. We can't rely solely on media and on dreams to be able to reach. The people need to see the practical face of God. So maybe we'll just have a prayer to close, and then I'll set you all free. If anybody has questions afterwards, please come up. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to look a little bit closer at your people who are in desperate need to hear the good news about your love for us. Lord, we pray that you will show each one of us what we can do to be able to help people to come to a full knowledge of the beauty of your character. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: This media was brought to you by Audioverse